Support for NPR and the following message come from ATO Records, featuring the new album from Los Angeles psychedelic soul band Chicano Batman. Invisible People is available now in limited edition vinyl, CD, and digital streaming services. Hey there, podcast listener. How you doing? So listen, thank you so much for listening to Latino USA. And we'd like to better understand who is listening and how you're using podcasts. So would you do us a favor and please help us out by completing a short anonymous survey at npr.org slash podcast survey, all one word. It takes less than 10 minutes. And you know, it really, really helps support our show. That's npr.org slash podcast survey. Now, here's the show. We've taken uh, quite a hit. Obviously, we're still trying to maintain busy and bring in business. So, yeah, we've taken we've taken a hit. From NPR and Futuro Media, it's Latino USA. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Today, what Latino business owners are facing during the coronavirus pandemic and how they're being shut out from the relief they need. One thing is certain, the COVID-19 shutdown here in the epicenter of it all in New York City continues to save lives. And it has kept hospitals here from being overwhelmed with new patients. But here in New York City and all across the country, the corner shops and family-run businesses and bodegas that are at the center of many communities are facing an existential threat. Many Latino business owners are struggling to pay their rent, meet their payrolls, and stay afloat. And some are wondering if this might be the end of the road. To alleviate this, by the end of March, Congress had come up with a massive relief bill that set aside $349 billion to help small businesses and to protect the paychecks of their employees. The funds were meant to be distributed in the form of low-interest business loans. But in less than two weeks, all of that money was gone and thousands of applications were left up in the air. The rollout of this program was plagued by accusations of unfairness in a process that shut out many Latino small businesses. And these are folks that will fight to make what they want and fight to make their businesses successful. Texas Public Radio entrepreneurship reporter Paul Flav has been covering this story across Texas, which has one of the highest rates of Latino-owned businesses in the country. Paul's reporting has highlighted the stories of people in the Latino business community who have been trying to access those relief funds and have mostly come up short in a very crucial moment for their businesses. And in full transparency, Futuro Media runs Latino USA, and we are a small Latino and woman of color run business that is also a nonprofit. We did apply for a payment protection loan, which is a central part of the conversation Paul and I will have today. And because Futuro Media has an active board of directors and a full-time support staff, we were able to submit our application in the first few hours of the process, and we were actually approved. Paul Flav, thank you so much for joining me on Latino USA. Thank you. Everybody is thinking about the long-term impact of COVID-19 and this crisis on the economy. I mean, probably second only to people's health. It's just the sheer concern about 
how this economic devastation is going to be felt by all of us. So in general, like this is a big, big topic. What have you found when you're speaking to Latino and Latina business owners? Like what is the thing that they're talking about that they're facing right now? I think Latino business owners, like a lot of business owners, are worried about being able to stay open in Texas. We're going on two months of no revenue coming in for many of them. And they're a segment of the economy that's really the most likely to be in this smallest of small businesses or micro businesses where they have a lot fewer employees and a lot less access to credit. One of the businesses that I talked to, uh, Claudia and Rick Garza, they run a production company called Bright and Early Productions. It's a photography and videography company targeting the real estate industry. All right, so it's a beautiful day. Sun's in this house. Beautiful. I'm at a new listing. I need to know the videos are they are pretty slick. They make the properties look really good. And they are kind of what you might expect to see as an interstitial cut from the old MTV show Cribs but they're for like residential listings. The real estate industry is still open here in Texas. You're still able to buy houses. Housing is considered essential. And they've decided to limit themselves to only houses that are unoccupied, which means they've lost a lot of business as a result. We've taken uh, quite a hit. I would say probably this is our busiest season. The, the spring, the summer is when we get the busiest, we 50, 60% drop. That's Claudia Garza. She's one half of uh, Bright and Early Productions. She, like just a number of the business owners I've talked to over the last month and a half, are very, very worried. <sighs> it's going to be huge. Obviously, we've had to cut hours. All of our, our, our people, you know, the majority of them are locals here from San Antonio, when you're at this level of a business, you you know their names, you know their family story, you know. And so it's it's a very hard thing for businesses to do. And unfortunately, right now, it's unavoidable in a lot of cases. Yeah, no, it's hard because when you work in these small, you know, small run companies, you become like a close knit family and it's really hard to let people go. So what's it like for the other small businesses? So the Garzas are are still able to work because they're not working directly with people. But there are thousands of businesses and Texans and millions across the country where it's impossible to not interact with customers. And I saw that firsthand when I interviewed Juan Rios, a tailor in San Antonio, who'd been doing it for basically his entire life. He had done it in Chicago for 10 years. And then uh, finally, he decided to make the jump and start his own business in San Antonio. You know, I've been in this business for, in San Antonio for 24 years. I moved from Chicago through here. And I have a little bit of a savings, which I spend all my savings paying the rent the whole year. He works out of this small building. It's about three rooms. And most of what we do is alterations, and we do anything you need on the clothes. It's crammed with machines that are for alterations and tacking machines, sewing machines every which way. You know, all of the employees I saw, I only saw him and two others, all of them were over 60 easily. And you could tell that they were, you know, very skilled craftsmen who really took their job seriously and really enjoyed what they did. But there was a sense of pessimism that was weighing on the entire operation. It's going to be tough <laughs> because being a small business like me, I mean, it's nothing coming in already. So you got to pay the bills anyway. I'm thinking about the fact that 
you know, he was based once in the city that I grew up in, Chicago, and he makes a strategic decision for all kinds of reasons to relocate to Texas, probably one of which is weather. (laughs) I mean, this is a person who you can tell is like making strategic decisions as a business person. And in his voice, there's a, a sound a little bit of like defeat. Yeah, this pandemic, these shutdowns, I think it came upon every small business unexpectedly. Most of the small businesses I've talked to in the last two months have talked about how amazing their year was supposed to be. And Juan's no different. They, I mean, he's a small business. He's been around for 24 years, but this was supposed to be a great year for him. And then all of a sudden, they're not allowed to operate for two months. And so with these mandatory shutdown orders, he can't take new customers. Him and his three employees have slowly been working through the orders that they already have, but he's he's really starting to worry about what happens when they run out of work. So I'm thinking back to the Great Recession, Great Recession, of course, of 2008, and how in particular Latino, Latina businesses were hard hit. I'm just wondering now, is there anything that you've found, Paul, that business owners are telling you that is different about the way this new economic shock is hitting businesses because of the pandemic. Right, right. Well, you know, for a lot of businesses in the Great Recession, it was a question of, well, people aren't going out to buy because there have been, you know, this collapse and they've lost their jobs. But in this situation, it's even worse because they're not even allowed to go into these businesses. So it's really a completely different paradigm for these businesses. And, you know, Latino business owners in particular, they are people that have bills to pay. Like a lot of small businesses, they have small reserves on hand already, and they don't generally have relationships or strong relationships with banks. So that's why we're seeing so many advocates for Latino businesses raising the alarm for this sector of the economy, asking for more to be done. We are going to see a lot of bankruptcies. We're going to see a lot of businesses just shut down. That's Noel Pollo. He's the executive director of the National Association of Latino Community Asset Builders. And he's talking about what he expects in the next few months. I'll just speak to Latino businesses who we work with a great deal are incredibly resilient. And so I would expect lots of businesses to go under, lots of people to suffer, and then lots of people to fight back. So when we're talking about micro businesses, like I'm going to paint a picture of some of the ones that I'm imagining right here in Harlem in New York City. So like the taco truck that is usually parked, there is the guy who has a shoe repair. He's actually got a storefront, but, you know, he's a small business. He's a one person kind of business. So are those the kinds of categories of businesses that we're talking about that may just get swept away and may have a hard time getting any official recognition? Absolutely. You're targeting sole proprietorships, you know, one person operations, and and that's definitely falling into this category. And yeah, there have been advocates, there have been reports showing that this is a group that we don't have the numbers yet, but we expect to see evaporating right now before economic aid can actually reach them. We've heard a lot about these aid packages, about stimulus checks. This is, of course, being met with, you know, massive unemployment numbers. So the federal government is trying to stimulate the economy. What is it exactly trying to do in terms of mitigating the damage? And how is this touching or not Latino and Latina business owners? 
like you said, the unemployment numbers are shocking. All right, the breaking news, a record shattering. 6.6 million Americans. 5.24 million people. 3,839,000 people filed for unemployment benefits for the very first time. That brings the six-week total over the past six weeks to about 30 million people out of work. So the federal government rushed to pass a $2 trillion Coronavirus Aid Relief and Economic Security Act, or the CARES Act. It was signed on March 27th, and part of that was $349 billion for banks to offer to small business as loans through what was called the Paycheck Protection Program. So the idea was that we'll go through banks, they have established relationships, and we'll push this money through, and they'll be able to go quicker than the federal government, and they'll get this money out. And those businesses with this two and a half months worth of payroll will be able to keep their people on payroll. So... The business owners that you've spoken to, are any of them getting access to these loans? Yes, some people are. I mean, that's an incredible amount of money to push out in a short amount of time. But the problem is if you don't have a good relationship with a bank or you don't actually use banks, which a lot of small businesses don't and even more Latino businesses don't. So, for instance, just a brief statistic about how this compares, according to the Federal Reserve, white business owners, around 46 percent can access bank financing. And that drops pretty significantly amongst Latino business owners to about 34 percent or a third of those business owners. If you want to make a, a dollar, you have to work for the dollar. So here's Juan Rios. We heard from him before talking about his own reluctance to approach a bank even after 24 years in business. If you go and spend three hours waiting for somebody to tell you something in the bank, you're losing money. As he said, he spent the entire first year of his business paying the rent out of his own savings because he just didn't think he could get a loan. So he is indicative of a whole group of business owners that are often self-funding, often using credit cards with like interest rates of 18% to fund their businesses, which is just an astronomical rate. And he's not unique. Bank loans to small businesses under $100,000 have dropped across the board by some statistics, uh, 50% between 2007 and 2018. That's according to some federal data. And it shows small minority-owned businesses struggle to access that at all. I do not know exactly what it is. We are too small. And they are afraid we're not going to pay for That's That's what I think. But it's part of discrimination, probably. So despite his reservations, after 24 years in business, he is going to try and get one of these PPP loans, one of these paycheck protection loans. And he's looking for about $20,000 to keep him afloat. Coming up on Latino USA, what Latino business owners can expect from a new round of relief from the government. Stay with us. No te vayas. This message comes from NPR sponsor BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as isolation, depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment when you need professional help. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com Latino to learn more and get 10% off your first month. The biggest story in the world is a science story. 
And keeping up with all the latest coronavirus research, it's a lot. So on Shortwave, we translate the science you need to know into short daily episodes. Listen and subscribe to Shortwave from NPR. We're back. And in the first part of our conversation with Texas public radio reporter Paul Flav, he was talking about the experiences of Latino micro businesses as they struggle to survive during the current economic crisis. We're going to return to our conversation now, and Paul is going to lay out why some Latino business owners were shut out from the government relief funds that were made available through a program called the Paycheck Protection Program, or PPP. So, Paul, what I get from what you were saying earlier is that in this first round of relief for small businesses, the federal government used banks to get those funds into the pockets of small business owners. But it turns out that banks are not necessarily the right way to get that money to many Latino business owners. So if that's not the right channel to use, is there a better way to do it? It's not clear that the federal government needed the banks, but it's also not clear they could have done it on their own. So there's, there's, this is an ongoing debate amongst academics of whether or not to use banks exclusively. Um, and with that first round, that did tend to be almost completely banks. I mean, there were some credit unions and there were some what are called community development financial institutions. That's what advocates would like to see used more. They'd like to see money allotted specifically for this group of organizations. These CDFIs, as, as they're called, they were developed in the 70s to address the long-standing problems of getting credit and loans into underserved communities, African-American, Latinos, other people of color, women-owned businesses. And they are to address those shortcomings of the financial sector and get money into the hands of businesses that could be thriving if they were to be given the opportunity. So, for example, the Garzas that we met at the beginning of our conversation, they they tried to go through Wells Fargo, one of the largest lenders in the country. It feels like I'm a small fish compared to, I don't know, the people who have larger accounts or maybe contacts within the bank. You know, I don't have a contact at Wells Fargo. I never have. The clock was ticking. The loan started being offered in early April. So... After weeks of struggling to get any information from her bank about the Paycheck Protection Program loans, they finally just had to go someplace else. And they ended up going to the local CDFI, the Lyft Fund, to ask for their loan, which is, you know, under $100,000. And they called me back immediately, probably within a day, if not less. And then they kind of walked me through the process of what was coming. So the Garzas were able to put in their application through Lyft Fund and but only a small fraction were routed through those kinds of institutions. Last I saw, I think, in the first round of PPP funding, it was something like 3%. So the relief wasn't being distributed through the right channels. It sounds, you know, pretty confusing. On top of that, you know, there wasn't really enough to go around. And it seems like the money then ran out pretty quickly. So it wasn't just a matter of how to get it, but then did it even exist for you to get it? 
Absolutely. I mean, $349 billion uh, was pushed out in 13 days. Small business owners still trying to apply for forgivable loans are being turned away because the government's Paycheck Protection Program is out of money. And there was all kinds of problems associated with the launch. The first time around, some companies in much better financial positions were some of the first to get these loans. One restaurant change recognized this, Shake Shack, announcing it will return the entire $10 million loan it received. There was all kinds of problems in the process. And so there were hundreds of thousands of people like the Garzas that were left waiting. So what does that mean for business owners um, in the Latino, Latina community? I mean, we've already heard how strapped they are for cash. So what does this look like? Yeah, the first round of funding is not looking like it helped Latino business owners that much. And as a result, we're looking at possible wide-scale layoffs, businesses closing. A recent survey put out by the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce and the League of United Latin American Citizens found about 70% of the Latino-owned businesses that completed their PPP application did not receive funding. Here's president of the U.S. Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, Ramiro Cavazos. The data shows that Latinos and Latinas have not received uh, their fair share of the program, uh, the protection money, the PPP. As a result, those organizations are calling for uh, $50 billion to be set aside just for these kinds of organizations. We know that Congress has tried again. There has been a new round of financing A lot of questions around, you know, whether or not this is going to reach immigrants, for example. So how did that go in terms of the Latino uh, and Latina small business and micro businesses? Yeah, so it's really not clear. Congress passed another round of funding on April 24th, so a month after the first round. That's a month where many businesses still don't have revenue coming in and they're struggling to survive And it's really just not clear uh, that the fixes that they say they built in will do much, if anything. And in fact, advocates are saying it just didn't go far enough. We were very disappointed uh, because there was real clarity coming out of round one of the Paycheck Protection Program that it had missed um, sort of Main Street America, (laughs) That was Noel Pollo. He's the executive director of the National Association of Latino Community Asset Builders. Here's what he pointed out to me. And th- this was broadly agreed to that, that, yes, we need to get to the little guy in round two. But when you get into what happened in the legislation itself and in, in the implementation, we don't expect there to be really much of a difference between uh, round one and round two in terms of how it was deployed. We're going to see more of the same is what he's saying. Wow. All right. Can you tell us how are the Rios and the Garces doing now? Yeah, it's a bit of a mixed picture, but Juan Rios ended up being declined for his loan application. So he's reapplied with a different bank for round two, and he's waiting to hear back. But it's not clear what that's going to mean. I'm going to be open anyway because I I have the money to, to pay the rent for a couple of months. And here's how he feels about his future. But after that, if my own, my landlord doesn't... I said, and then I, I don't know if I'm going to have to close or, if, or I don't know what to do. In the interim, like if he doesn't get any of this funding, which he, I think, doesn't expect to at this point, he can really only stay in business, he says, for another couple of months. And even if he were to let go people, which I think he will have to do. Yeah, yes, I'm worried about them. They depend, they depend on me. I mean, you know, and I worry about myself, too. <laughs> what am I going to do? You got to remember, I'm 74. 
So Rios, like he said, he's not a spring chicken, as he put it later in the interview, and he's not sure what the future is going to hold for him. For the Garzas, Claudia and her husband Rick, they finally heard back that they had been approved for round two, and they're waiting for the funds. So that's two and a half months of payroll. They can pay people for a couple more months. It is a huge relief. Um, we're excited. It, it's definitely, obviously not complete weight off, but it's definitely, you know, let, let's breathe a little bit, at least for the next few months. But after that, if it continues like this, where they're forced to work in only unoccupied houses, they're going to have to lay people off, she said. This really is, it's just complicated. It, it begins to feel very, very, very tenuous. I guess just finally, Paul, it's hard to find anything silver in this very huge cloud. But was there anything that you came away with in terms of a sense of resiliency or thinking about other businesses that maybe you thought something good might come of this? You're talking about a group of entrepreneurs who are used to being on their own. I mean, I think that's the one silver lining that you can take is this is not a new situation for them in terms of being pushed into a corner. And these are folks that will fight to make what they want and fight to make their businesses successful and and do whatever it takes. I mean, this is a group of people that take more financial risks. The hope is that those risks will pay off in the next few months. Paul Flav, thank you so much for your reporting and for joining me on Latino USA. I really appreciate the time. Paul Flav is an entrepreneurship reporter with Texas Public Radio. As of May 1st, Texas has reopened restaurants, shops, and other businesses, including the tailor shop owned by Juan Rios. But there are restrictions limiting capacity to only 25% of their listed occupancy. Still, Latino-owned small businesses and the state of Texas remain in dire straits financially. This episode was produced by Janice Yamoka and edited by Luis Treyes. The Latino USA team includes Miguel Macias, Sofia Parizacá, Antonia Cerejido, Ginny Montalvo, Alisa Escarce, and Alejandra Salazar, with help from Raúl Pérez. Our engineers are Stephanie Lebeau and Julia Caruso. Additional engineering this week by Leah Shaw, and a big thumbs up to you. Our director of programming and operations is Natalia Fidelholtz. Our digital editor is Amanda Alcantara. Our intern is Julia Rocha. Our theme music was composed by Zenia Rubinos. If you like the music you heard on this episode, stop by latinousa.org and check out our weekly Spotify playlist. I'm your host and executive producer, Maria Hinojosa. Join us again on our next episode. And in the meantime, look for us on all of your social media. Stay safe and hasta la próxima. Ciao. Latino USA is made possible in part by the Heising Simons Foundation, unlocking knowledge, opportunity, and possibilities. More at hsfoundation.org, the Wincoat Foundation, and funding for Latino USA's coverage of a culture of health is made possible in part by a grant from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation.
That's a wrap for me. See you guys. Back to being a professor. Okay, besitos. I'm Maria Hinojosa. Next time on Latino USA, the story of two Guatemalan asylum seekers and how a punishing court system has turned their lives upside down. That's next time on Latino USA. 